0: Hello, and welcome back. Uh, Joseph Michelli here. It was 2010. And I remember vividly, I was in Canada. I was doing a speech there, and I followed these two guys who had the hottest book going uh, called The Carrot Principle. And I remember vividly because the bureau rep was, I think he was the founder of the first speakers bureau in Canada, Perry Goldsmith. And I called him after the event, and he said, how did it go? And I said, it was great. I really enjoyed the audience, but from now on, I'm going to add to the list. I don't follow pets, I don't follow children, and I will no longer follow Adrian Gostick or Chester Elton. And uh, with that, I introduce to you the person who uh, I think I followed a couple other times, so it didn't really work for me, but uh, really, truly the leading authority globally on employee engagement employee culture, employee productivity, and the author of a book that couldn't be more timely uh, for this Thanksgiving holiday week here in the United States, as we talk about leading with gratitude. So good to see you, Chester. Thanks for making the time.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for the invite. And thanks for that wonderful introduction. It's a very unique and uh, made me laugh and smile. So thank you.
0: Yeah, well, you guys are a combination of data. Like you are the data miners. You've done the real deal research. And you know I think upwards of up to a million people have somehow been affected by your solicitation of input. And from that, you've become the voice of employee engagement long before it was cool and in a way that's much more grounded to practice than just, uh, I think, ideological stuff. So tell me a little bit about this journey. I mean, was, you know, I guess I should should have researched this better, but I always think of Carrot Principle as the launchpad for you guys. But I don't know if there were things that preceded it. After that, everything seemed to go orange on you,
1: though. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the Carrot Principle really was the tipping point for us. You know, uh, I'll tell you, it was was fun. We'd written uh, several books before uh, with carrot in the title, so there was managing with carrots. There was the 24-carrot manager, a carrot a day, the invisible employee, how carrots bring out the best in your employees, and so, and, and then we got into the carrot principle, and that's the first time we, you know, Joseph, we really took hardcore data, and 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 married the data with the case studies with the tools, which which was really wonderful. So yeah, we had a lot of fun with the carrot principle. Then, from there, you know, we, we looked at um, culture. We took a deep dive into culture with our book all in, and then we went into best team wins. And now the um, the leading with gratitude, uh, you're going to pop it up there. so we have a double stereo view of the uh, of the book. And it's really been interesting that even when we studied leadership, we studied culture, we studied teams, there was always this thread, Joseph. Of gratitude in the culture that was a differentiator between just good cultures and really extraordinary and, and highly engaged and productive cultures. It's interesting, isn't it?
0: It, it really is. And you know, I, I just looked at today an article that came out from Gallup. Um, this is not going to surprise you, but I, I think it's it was a little disturbing beyond what I was believing to be true. So they were talking about a significant increase in burnout going into the pandemic from 2016 to 2019. So it's not like You know, that was a new thing. But they said, you know, that the burnout level stayed high through 2020, which wasn't surprising. But there was a major shift that we have never seen before. This is quoting uh, Ben Wigger and Jennifer Robinson in today's Gallup uh, workplace. It said fully remote workers are now experiencing more burnout than on-site workers. And the point they were saying is that employees who experience high levels of burnout are 63 percent more likely to take a sick sick day 13% 13% less confident in their performance and 23% more likely to visit the ER. I mean, I'm like the emergency room seemed a bit extreme and the notion that I think in the old days, we used to think that people who got to work from home uh, were less burnout out because they had this perk and now it's not such a perk.
1: Yeah. You know, all, all the data is showing that we're not working less, we're working more. You know, that commute time that we had to either psych ourselves up for the day or to decompress after the day has disappeared. You know, if you're working from home, your commute is you open the door, right? And 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 then you're home. And so that added pressure. And I think there is a responsibility for, for people that didn't work from home, that are now working from home. That adjustment was, well, I want to make sure that you know I get my work done now more than ever, kind of thing. And yet you, you put on top of that, taking care of your health, taking care of aged parents, trying to educate your kids, trying to keep your, yourself, your neighborhood safe, you know, how you shop for groceries. And how, I mean, all these things have just really piled up on people. And it, it's not surprising. Stress levels are up, anxiety is up, burnout is up. And, uh, and, and mental health is, is skyrocketed. Cisco uh, just came out with a survey. 85% of employees surveyed said that anxiety was their number one issue in the workplace. So yeah, there's been a lot of things that have turned upside down because of the pandemic, no doubt about it. So we have
0: people coming in from all over the world. Uh, we've heard from Joe in, in uh, Kansas and Costas from Cyprus. I don't think those are geographically anywhere close to each other. Uh, and then we got, uh, I believe, Tarek, who's uh, just talking about uh, the quality of leadership that you've demonstrated over the years. So let me jump into, uh, and we're grateful to you. I just want to practice what uh, Chester (laughs) preaches. Uh, We are grateful to all of you who are joining us today. Let's talk about uh, kind of leading with gratitude. And, you know, you start the book with uh, a story of a CEO from WD-40. I think it's Gary Ridge or something like that. And uh, I found this, (laughs) it's got it ready and (laughs) handy. You know, I used to use that when I was in Colorado, we got to Florida and then somehow or another, the humidity makes it a little less uh, usable than it was. I know know, a little factoid that may not be true. Um, So, but let me go to this, the story of Gary Ridge, because what was striking about the setup for this book was that he thought when he asked his, you know, when employees asked him, how are you doing? How are you doing? That it was about him, but it turns out that oftentimes people are looking for something else with that question, particularly of leaders. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, yeah, it's a wonderful story. And, and Gary Ridge and I have become great friends, as has Adrian. We, he spent a lot of time with us. We're part of the same leadership group. And and, he, and, and the way he tells the story live is, is so engaging because he says, you know, I'm going to all these places and people saying, how are you doing? Are, are you Okay. To the point where at the end of the day, he called his wife from his hotel and said, Honey, do I give off a sick vibe? Like, do I look ill? <laughs> you know? And and she, you know, Mary Well, right? She said, Gary, they're not asking, Are you okay? They're asking, Are we okay? Like, are we as a as a as a company? The story takes place in the middle of the last recession with great lessons for this you know, pandemic and this recession, he said, you know, and it, it occurred to me that it was time to not waste a good crisis, a quote that I that I love. And he said, I, I reassured people, said, look, we're, we're in a good situation. You know, we, we may not be hiring, but we are going to double down on our people. Now, uh, to understand the WD-40 culture, it's a tribal culture. It's very disciplined that way. Because in a tribe, you're not co-workers or teammates. You know, you, you hunt together, you, you eat together, you defend each other, you celebrate. And it's that tribal culture that really came into play. He said, when, when people are hearing the horrors of companies laying people off and going out of business, when they come to WD-40, I want them to hear about hope. And in building on that, I'll tell you, you know, when the recession receded in 2010 and on, they went from a $250 million company to now a $2.5 billion company. So, this whole idea of upping your communication, upping your gratitude, these aren't soft skills and nice to haves. These are must haves, particularly in hard times.
0: So, there was a, he, he kind of went on to talk about no lying, no hiding. Uh, and, and what was interesting is because I was doing my book, which will be released later next month called Stronger Through Adversity. And I was asking leaders about you know, lessons that they'd learned. And one of them almost echoed that line almost completely. It was a guy by the name of Charlie Cole. He had just come over to FTD. He was hired in the middle of the pandemic and didn't actually meet with his leadership team in the same room when he came on as CEO. And he said, you don't know me from anyone, right? You have no idea. (laughs) But let me just tell you one thing, just no hiding bad news, no hiding bad news. And that was his mantra throughout the, the pandemic. And I think there's something about this transparency that's on the other side of gratitude, right? I mean, it is a, a magnitude of vulnerability to get into your gratitude. And I know that you have some, some myths about gratitude that you you debunk with ferociousness. You are not gentle in breaking down these myths. But let's let's uh, let's take a couple of the myths from the book. And I'll start, you know, f- for me, there's there's just so much in here that's amazing. But let's start with that we really need to lead from fear. Like we don't need no stinking gratitude. What we need is people to grow up and put their big boy and big girl pants on and come to work and stop with this. And if it's not my way, the highway kind of attitude. How come, I mean, that command and control stuff's been around for a long time. Why why aren't you supporting that?
1: Chester, come on. (laughs) You know, what was fascinating, Joseph, is that the, the leaders that we interviewed that clearly led with fear didn't realize they were leading that way. And we found that fascinating. They said, no, I'm a truth teller. You know, and all the (laughs) Pollyanna unicorns and rainbows. I'm the guy that gives them the straight scoop, you know, that, hey, if we don't hit this quota, I can't guarantee your jobs. Yeah, well, that's a great motivator. And by the way, not that fear isn't a great motivator. I mean, if your house is on fire, fear is a great motivator, right? And the, the problem is it's very short term. And that's what they didn't really understand. That You talk about burnout. You talk about pressure and anxiety. If you're in a constant state of fear, you can't stay in that state of fear for a long period of time. So for a short-term gain, you, you bet. You know, the place is on fire. Let's run. Long-term, if you want to build something substantial, you just can't lead that way for any uh, length of time. People just get exhausted, burnout. And, and we say they blink out. Some days they, they just won't show up. And you say, what happens? Well, you've, you've exhausted them. You've I mean,
0: goodness knows there's not enough fear in the environment right now. Well, so you yeah, probably want to you know. manufacture a little bit of it just to keep them on, on their toes. Exactly. Uh, you say, you know, in the context of myths that people want way too much praise these days. It, it ties in a little bit to the last one about needing to manage from fear. It's kind of the reverse like we've gone to the point where everybody gets a ribbon and a trophy just for showing up. And, and, you know, there is no merit at all. And so why even say anything positive? I mean, it gets to that underlying dynamic. Can you talk a little bit about why it is that that there isn't a craving for too much praise?
1: Yeah. And, and, and I hate that attitude. You know, it's such a negative attitude. Ah, oh, people, ah, oh, this younger generation. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's interesting. As, as we did interviews, and we've done a lot of surveys with millennials and now Gen Z, they're they're looking for feedback. What they want to know is, how am I doing? You know, you got to understand this is a generation that grew up, you know, very tech savvy, lots of likes, lots of followers, lots of video games, lots of stimulation. And it's not that they're saying, hey, love me, love me, love me. What they're asking for is feedback. They're asking for mentoring. They're asking for guideposts along the way. And the really, truly insightful and good leaders understand that. And by the way, you know, a little bit of praise, a little bit of encouragement it takes you a few seconds. It's not like you're dedicating a whole day to hiring a brass band and rolling up the red carpet. It's like, hey, Joseph, you know what? I really like what you did there. That's great. Keep doing that. That's what they're looking for.
0: Yeah, I love that point. I mean, it ties into another myth that you get into. It, it isn't this overwhelming investment of time. And in fact, probably the best forms of gratitude are ones that aren't, you know, ticker tape parades. I mean, those, those have their place, but they're so few and far between. Gratitude lives in the ordinary moments of life where we just express something that is inside of us. And and we'll get into expression in just a moment, but the last one I'd like to get into from a myth perspective, just kind of quickly. And and this one I think is a little harder to combat than some of those other ideologic perspectives. I mean, what's in it for me for being grateful? And, And I can tell you that I remember in the carrot principle long, long ago, Uh, you talked about like high trust organizations and what they meant on if you studied them from a stock market perspective in terms of how much they were producing. And I think you may have even done some, taken some research from Watson or something. I don't remember, but these are all memories. I have not done any research. I just remember that from the carrot principle. I guess that what I'm trying to do is to extrapolate something similar. If high trust environments produce a greater ROI, what's the ROI of high gratitude environments?
1: Well, I'll tell you what's really interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, real, real-time real uh, case studies. You know, I, I think the pandemic, what it's done is, if, you, if you've got cracks in your culture, now they've exploded. If you haven't been a good communicating culture, well, now you're, that's really exposed. If you haven't been a culture of gratitude, that's exposed. And in a crisis, what you find is, communication has to skyrocket. Even if the communication is there's nothing new to report, because in a communication void, it gets filled with rumor, innuendo, and fear. So you you mitigate that by over communicating. Secondly, gratitude needs to go up. I'm not forgotten. What I do is important. Small wins along the way, which we'll get into, in a minute. See what's really interesting? Texas Roadhouse restaurants. This is a real time case study that we're going through right now. I, I don't know if you've ever been to a Texas Roadhouse restaurant. So much fun! It's a yes, party. There's yes,
0: yeah, party going on. There's there's. Peanuts on the floor. I got. I got it.
1: Yeah. I just well, wish I had a
0: little steak right now. After that, but that's okay. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> and don't forget the, you know, the, the the made from scratch rolls, right? Anyway, what happens is now you've closed it down. Their their revenue is five to seven percent takeaway, and their whole brand is party in a box. Now you got to pivot. Now you might not know this. There are six hundred Texas Roadhouse restaurants out there. They have almost seventy thousand employees. And they had to pivot. So what did they do? They immediately up communication. Every day they had these morning meetings. How's our supply chain? How's our our PPE? How are our people doing? And and by the way, right from the get go, said we're not laying off anybody. We're not taking any government money. We're gonna we're gonna be really innovative. We're gonna pivot, and see, and we're gonna cheer each other through it. Now think about that. So they have done all the, the, the logistics. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna do it. Let's not forget the gratitude, the hope. We were on their executive uh, calls in the morning, right? Because we're, we're writing this book about, about Texas Roadhouse. And it's so interesting. At the end, they'd say, okay, here's all the stuff we're going to do. And they'd pull out a guy and they'd say, okay, Tom, bark us out. I'd like to <laughs> bark us out. So give us some inspiration. And at the end, say, okay, boys, let's hit it hard. Let's, let's bark it out. They go, woof, 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 woof this is a billion dollar organization <laughs> and they're barking. Do you have a video? I think
0: you could, you could blackmail them for this, for uh, effective, uh, yeah. you know, done. I think, I, but it, but it's so endemic, right? Like it's not pretentious. It's just who they are. Let me, let me bring in a voice from Joe who says fear is a motivator that doesn't develop critical relationships and empowerment and mentorship builds trust and people will go to battle for the people they trust. Let's, Let's take on the notion that, you know, because you mentioned earlier that fear is not the best motivator. And I, you guys are such wordsmiths that I'm very careful to watch how you speak it. It's not that you disagree with the motivational value of fear, but you just don't think it's the best. And I think Joe adds on to that, particularly if you're trying to create a relationship, right? like fear to run out of a house is not relational. It's just about escape. If you're really working in a relational model, it involves a whole different set of activities. And frankly, it involves a lot of the activities and assumptions that you make as part of this book. So I'm going to tee you up with that. And I'm going to basically say that for those of you who have not, you haven't grabbed leading with gratitude, I'm worried about you. I really <laughs> am. I want you to know authentically, Mama Michelli would make sure you're okay if you haven't picked up leading with gratitude. But, but in it, you're going to find eight powerful gratitude principles. And half of them are about being able to see the things for which you, sh- you can be grateful And the other is about opening up thy mouth to the things for which you are grateful. And so let's start with with kind of the beginning of that to tie into building a relationship, right? There is a phase in demonstrating gratitude where you have to figure out what's out there, right? Like you have to bring in input. So can you talk to me a little bit about the importance of pulling it in so that you can nurture gratitude in your work environment?
1: Yeah, I think one of the most important questions leaders can ask of their team is, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, Back to Texas Roadhouse. You know, it's really interesting. Kent Taylor, who's the founder and and the CEO, he says, you know, in times of crisis, I I, I talk to my crazies, right? My big dogs, the guys that think outside the box. He says, my my puppies on the porch, my rule followers, they're great during good times. In, in crisis, we've got to get ideas. And so he's soliciting all these ideas. For example, they had a, a, a store, they call their restaurant stores down in North Carolina. I said, look, remember the meat shortage? Remember that was that time you couldn't find meat in the stores? He says, look, we've got a great supply chain. We're a steakhouse. Why don't we sell curb to grill? We'll sell people raw steaks, hand cut sirloin steaks. And we'll do it in a farmer's market on Saturday. Now, understand this is a restaurant. That's known for a party in the box that says, you know, what, in our parking lot on Saturdays, farmer's market, fresh cut meat. Well, they had people waiting in line in their cars for four hours to get this meat. It wasn't just the best day in that restaurant's history. It was the best one day total in the history of Texas Roadhouse. So what do you think everybody else started to do? That's soliciting and getting input. Look, I don't have all the answers. You know, Kent Taylor by himself. Brilliant he brings in all his people he's einstein and that's the power <laughs> of soliciting and getting that input as a leader, it really a i mean it's,
0: it's if i think about gratitude because i want to keep keeping that as my theme around this uh, in order for me to be grateful there's got to be something i'm reacting to right like in in a box with blackness all around me, it's going to be my own thoughts that I'm going to be grateful for. But if I can pull in external stimuli from my environment, I'm grateful for every bit of dissent. I'm grateful for every idea that's a little off the beaten path because it enables us to consider possibilities that we might not otherwise. So I, I just think that that's often overlooked, like soliciting input is a functional need of the grateful leader. So let me, uh, this one has always been my favorite. It's often in, you know, when I work with leadership teams, it's part of the code of conduct we often try to evoke, right, just at least at the team level, that, you know, it's easy to have fear, to go to your point earlier, if we assume that people are out to hurt us. If we adopt that posture, we live in that zone. But what if we didn't? What if we gave people the benefit of the doubt that we'd want them to give us? I love this idea and, and have always been a believer in it. But you guys capture it so well in the book. So, so talk a little bit about it, will you, please?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite concepts, assume positive intent. You know, Hubert Jolie, we got to interview him, and he recently retired CEO of Best Buy. Took him from a billion-dollar deficit to a billion-dollar surplus. And he said, one of my favorite quotes in the book, he says, you know, I may be naive. I just think that people come to work wanting to do a good job. And in trying to do a good job, they make mistakes. And that's okay. We can fix the mistakes. You know, uh, Alan Mulally, who saved the Ford Motor Company, said, look, we have a problem. You are not the problem. And then Dura Noye from Pepsi, she said, you know, when you assume positive intent, it's all about solving the problem. When you assume negative intent, you get angry, you blame, you point fingers, and none of that is productive. So assume positive intent about people. I'm just You know, particularly if they're working from home and they may not get back to you right away. So look, I'm gonna assume that you're working hard, something has come up, you're gonna to get to it, I trust you. Getting back to you know uh, Joe uh, Joe's comment about deepening relationships. When there's trust, when you're assuming positive intent, and think about that in your personal life, with your spouse, your partner, your kids. If you're assuming negative intent all the time, I guarantee you that's not gonna be a healthy relationship.
0: Well, and it also becomes very fulfilling, self-fulfilling, yes. don't you think? I mean, after a while, you're cynical about somebody. They're like, well, if you're going to view that me that way anyway, might as well do it. There's that that element to uh, human nature. So I love walking in their shoes. You know, in, in my world, because I'm much more on the customer experience side, though I believe employees and team members are internal customers, so I, it's not like I'm making a huge distinction. But since you know, we often are building experiences for customers who are the paying customer, um, you know, at Starbucks, for example, we did the customer walk and we would have employees walk out from the parking lot as if they were customers. They'd get out of their own shoes to step into the shoes in the path of the customer. And in so doing, they could see things that they would not see from their side of the counter, if you will. This yeah. notion of empathy and really posturing yourself in their space, this is differentiating right now in the pandemic. It's without a doubt, I think this emotional intelligence variable is the predictor of success in the pandemic. So talk to me about uh, how do you get yourself into that as a leader, uh, instead of just assuming your shoes are nice and comfy, cozy?
1: Yeah. Well, one of of the great things about the pandemic, if there are great things about a pandemic, is it was a great equalizer. You know, uh, line people, supervisors, right to the CEO, all of a sudden, we all had to sequester. We all had to stay home. And so the CEO is having the same problems as a, a supervisor and how am I teaching my kids? How am I getting food and all that kind of thing? So, so I think empathy went, went up really high. The other thing I love is when great leaders actually do the jobs, you know, like at Ritz Carlton, all the senior executives have to have to go um, clean rooms for two or three days to experience what, what is that like? And it's not easy work. You know, I love uh, Kent Taylor. You know, he'll go in and wash dishes just to remember that, you know, when he had just two stores or one store that sometimes you got to go back and wash dishes. That empathy and walking in their shoes really does bring bring to fore that, look, I'm not going to make ridiculous requests because I know how hard the job is. So it's why we love undercover boss, right? Put the boss on the front line and see how easy it is. So yeah, Yeah. walking in their shoes, really important. So I I wasn't
0: gonna do this, but will you indulge me a second because you brought this up, can you be grateful in a pandemic? And I just wrote a, just a really quick blurb for my newsletter. And I basically uh, suggested, I think I'm trying to figure out what even I titled it, but here's the essence of it. It says the word oxymoron is one of my favorites. As you (laughs) likely know, it traces back to two Greek words, oxy, which means sharp and moron, which means dull. Quite literally an oxymoron is a sharp dull or figuratively, it's a contradiction. And I give some examples, but I go on to say, is pandemic gratitude an oxymoron? Uh, or can someone be grateful for, or in the context of uh, the pandemic? And I thought I might ask you that now, given that you brought it up. Can we be grateful in the context of a pandemic?
1: Absolutely. And and, and I'll, I'll share a couple of interesting stories with you, but we would interview all these great leaders for our books, right? Leading with Gratitude, our 13th book, right? interestingly enough we'd say tell us about your career they would always tell us about the hard times why that's when they were tested that's when they became great leaders you know there was, was a, you may remember this it was a really interesting experiment in the 70s and what they did is they created this perfect environment right would and they put people in for 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 two years that they would live in this perfect environment because the University of phoenix did it and it was really interesting that you know the water was was pure the air was clean and they had all these different trees started to fall over and they didn't know why
0: wow okay and,
1: and do you know why take a guess in a perfect environment why would trees just fall over
0: i i cannot even begin to imagine i can't imagine <laughs> a perfect environment let alone <laughs> trees falling over so i'm not going to try there was no wind No wind.
1: No wind. They needed that force
0: to strengthen them. Exactly. And so you take
1: a look at the pandemic. And if you change your outlook to why is me to what am I supposed to learn? How is this making me better? How is this making me stronger? We always come out of a test stronger. You know, you talk about how do you make steel, right? It's it's the refiner's fire. So it's really interesting. I think a shift, and we talk about gratitude. At the end of the book, we talk about take it home. We'll get into that. Yeah, now. well, I've I'm got
0: sure. that. I got that to throw up here. Don't get ahead of each <laughs> <Beth>, other. For goodness <laughs> sake. What, what,
1: what I'm saying is, we should be grateful for hard times because it's hard times that really tell us who we are. It's easy to be happy and engaged in good times. It's well, hard. I love
0: what you just shared with me. That's all going to fit so nicely as I do my book tour in the next couple of weeks. Cause you know, the new book is called stronger through adversity. We did 140 leaders from all kinds of different industries around the globe. And it it was an amazing opportunity to talk to, to folks who said the very thing that you did. I mean, you know, no, no plant grows in the absence of resistance. It has to pop through the crust of the earth and our muscles don't grow unless we have the resistance of weights. And so I think we all know this, but as leaders, sometimes we, we forget the value of it all. So thanks for indulging me on that. Let's do the last of the observational components of being a grateful leader, developing those skills, you know, being able to, to peruse the environment and, you know, be able to be more regular in the way you see things that you can be grateful for.
1: Yeah, looking for small wins. It, it's such a, a characteristic of really healthy cultures. You know, we, we studied, when we wrote our book, All In, we interviewed a manager from Avis Budget Rental Car in Dallas, Texas, Carlos Aguilera, one of our favorite leaders. And one of the things he would do as a trigger and a reminder that even in hard times, there are a lot of little things going right that keep us open and keep us running. He would put 10 pennies in his left pocket, a little trigger, a little reminder to look for 10 positive things every day, to have 10 positive interactions with his people every day. And he'd move a penny from his left pocket to his right pocket, just a a wonderful reminder, you know, that. And, and, and he couldn't always be with people. He's texting them. You know, he's calling them. He's having group meetings. He's writing little little notes and whatnot. Those simple little wins, why, why do you do it? It's to build momentum. You know, I know sports analogies are overused, and they're overused because they work, right? We, we, we cheer for our team all the time. Why do teams in important games want to have home field advantage? Because they want their fans cheering for them. And by the way, as fans, we don't wait till the final score to cheer. We cheer every good play. We cheer every every stop, every every basket. Why? To build momentum, and that's what great leaders do. Small wins build momentum. To so them- I got
0: I just got to compliment you now because it's first. It's part of the thing now, and I'm supposed to catch small wins. <laughs> but I love the example of cheering along the way. I don't think I've ever thought about that. I mean, I cheer, I scream. I'm a normally very controlled person until I watch USC Trojans play football and then I become another beast. Yeah. But I love the notion that I don't wait to the end and go, oh, yay, team, we won, right? I mean, it's so endemic to the, the natural flow of it all. All right, we've I now crossed all, we, Go ahead. Wait,
1: before we leave that, and isn't it interesting that as leaders, we we do the exact opposite. Hey, uh, nice win. We still haven't hit the goal. Let's right. celebrate when we... And we don't. By the way, nice win over Utah, uh, USC Trojans. I saw that score. Thank you very much. <laughs> I take
0: it all personally, like I was out there doing it.
1: <laughs> like you had something to do with the outcome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. It was that extra cheer in the third quarter, I think, was pivotal. Uh, you know, I love that. Yeah. I love that, that it, it's okay to celebrate. I think that is that is an interesting myth you, I don't know that you necessarily covered. It's like, why would we dare give credit because we haven't completely finished the mission and it's almost superstitious behavior to acknowledge success before it's time. I, I love this small wins thing. Let's go. We've crossed the, sh- the threshold, folks. We've now gone from seeing to doing. We are now in the expressing mode. I was listening uh, to a really prolific speaker the other day talking about ingratitude, and I know you covered it in your book, but it was fascinating to me for them to talk about how we might be grateful inside of ourselves, but unless we express it, it's experienced by others as ingratitude. So I am really grateful, but I didn't say anything. So you, to whom I'm grateful, feel it as ingratitude because I never said anything. What a horrible disconnect between what I feel and what you feel, and how I've just had one small act that could make the difference. Give it now, and give it off, and give it up. Talk about it, Mr. <laughs> Mister Elton.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, and the last part of that is, and don't be afraid. You know, let me see. well, I'll come across as disingenuous. And say, well, well, if you're not very good at it, of course, nobody's good at anything right away. You know, practice, do it often. The, the more you do it, the better you'll get. And let your people know. Say, look, I, you know, I I need to be better about expressing gratitude. And it may seem a little awkward to begin with. The more I do it, the better we get. And I want you to encourage each other. You know, this give it off. And people say, look, if I give it too much, it, it loses its impact. And I say, really? So, you know, Gallup did a study and they found that 13 incidences of recognition and appreciation a day is the limit. Number 14, it starts to tail off show me somebody at the end of the day that says that went home and said, I got too much praise and recognition today.
0: You couldn't get it. And even, you know, back in my day when I was going through graduate school and I was studying a, to be a marriage uh, psychologist in marriage specialty. And I remember the data, the data basically said that that unhappy couples exchange a ratio of something on the order of 10 negatives to every one positive. Uh, And that really, Happy couples are really exchanging five negatives to every one positive. So no, it, it, five, it seemed like. A negative. Yeah, so still more negative. Happy couples are still having more negative interactions than positive ones, but the ratio was lower. So the way you deal with this is not to remove four negatives. You just increase one positive. Do you follow me? So if yeah. it's 10 to one in distressed and five to one in happy, then just add one more positive and you're down to the. One to five, right? So, guy, I hate doing math in in live time, but but you get <laughs> my point, right? Or yeah. you can say no, I don't have a clue what you just said. But well,
1: I- we, we we cite that uh, John Gottman did that study, and it was really interesting. He put newlywed couples in a room for fifteen minutes and had them do a puzzle, and he recorded the positive to negative. And you're right. If it actually, he said, if the positive to negative was about one to one, that. Uh, That he could predict with 94% accuracy that within three years, they'd be divorced. If it was at least five to one, they were happily married. And I love that idea because then as a leader, ask yourself, what's my ratio? Like, what is my, am I really good at pointing out what's going wrong and not so good about pointing out what's right? Your people will let you know, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've
0: I, John Gottman from the university, well, I, I worked with him at one point in time in my career. It's been years now. So Gail and Margolin and all kinds of great people in those days. Let me tailor it to the individual. So this is that you all are fabulous. I love you. You're amazing. Keep up the great work, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that really gets me feeling like he's, he's figured me out, right? The,
1: yeah, a couple of things. We always say general praise has no impact. You're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. You know, finger guns is... please. You know. <laughs> one is, is we tend to project. You know, uh, we had a, a guy who was really interesting. said, how do you recognize your team? He goes, I'm the Starbucks guy. I said, well, really? He says, everybody loves Starbucks. They give out these $5 Starbucks cards. So, you know, if you uh, hadn't missed a day in, in a week, Starbucks card. If you came up with an idea that saved the company a million dollars, $5 Starbucks. I mean, it was all the same, right? We asked him, he said, ask your team. What that means to him, and uh, and and you know, three of the seven people on his team didn't drink coffee. Now I get that you get more than coffee at Starbucks. One a woman on his team said, "You know, I don't really like Starbucks, and so I give it to my neighbor." And he said, "That's when the light bulb went off—that I was recognizing my employee's neighbor."
0: It's making for a a good neighborhood, but wasn't doing much for getting what that. And I think it even gets to that whole issue of, is it always about a $5 gift card? Is it always monetary in its compensation? And that really speaks to de-individualizing it when you do it. Uh, Because not only do they not like Starbucks, but sometimes maybe they would just
1: like some of your time. Exactly. Uh, Know your people. For example, you know. Um, do you want uh, more m- like my dad? I'll tell you this great story. I worked in a sporting goods store when I was a kid. We played lots of sports. And so I wanted to work in a sporting goods store because I wanted to get my stuff at a discount, right? And, uh, my dad says to me, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great, dad. I love it. He says, do they like you? He says, yeah, they really are pleased with my work. He said, in fact, they're so pleased with my work. They're going to give me Friday off. And he looked back and he goes, well, why wouldn't you ask for overtime? See, in, in his world, love you meant more hours. Right. My world love you meant time off.
0: <laughs> He's looking at you going, maybe they don't like you that much. Maybe they want yeah. I for
1: yeah. Him, yeah. No, And, and I, good I good
0: get good. it. I mean, He's it really good. is yeah. a different language that we're talking about. Uh, what is recognition? What is appreciation? So I, I appreciate that. This to me has always been uh, an element of it. I mean, recognition outside of your core values dilutes the importance of your core values, right? I mean, at some level, we say this is what we're about. We've observed this behavior in you. If we can link it back to our core values, it's holistic. If not, what are we reinforcing and how are we supporting the development of culture? And you've written 50 billion books, it seems like, on culture. So what am I saying here? I'll shut up. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, very simply, you get what you reward. You know, you get what you praise if you if if you praise on time delivery you're more likely to get on time delivery if you're if you're praising and rewarding innovation you're going to get more innovation you know and it, it is interesting you know back to our friends at, at WD40 i don't know if you know what WD40 stands for but it's water, di- you know this? Well, I'm just like,
0: why are you doing this to me? I have to know why <laughs> trees stand up in a perfect environment. And the, why don't you just ask me what the chemical compound is while you're at it? Go ahead, it's all yours. Give me the formula. Water something, yeah. water something. I heard you
1: say that. Yeah, water displacement, 40th formula. So what Gary Ridge at WD40 says is, look, did we make 39 mistakes before we got to 40? Absolutely not. We have 39 learning moments to get to 40. Mm. So in his culture, we don't make mistakes, we have learning moments. So what he's celebrating is said, look, we can celebrate mistakes, because of what we learn. So think about that. You know, Google, they have their one day where everybody brings out their, their worst ideas that were abject failures. Why do they do that? Because in failure, there is learning. The trees fell yeah. over. They figured out they needed wind, right?
0: In that same, in that same Gallup article I referenced earlier today, one of the one, that same edition of the of a the magazine they have, they had a whole thing on leaders not being courageous enough. You know, just not having courage And what we need so much of in this time is courage. But they still are hesitant, and because their cultures have not encouraged WD forty as opposed to WD one. Right. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go to. Make it peer-to-peer. I can tell you, the first time I ran into this in large measure was when I was working with Tony Shea over at Zappos and I was doing the Zappos Experience book. And Tony, it seemed like where everybody else was, a leader had to catch you doing it right. And hopefully there was a leader available at all times You did something right. Tony was all about... We're not around that much. We need your peers to see you doing it right and catch you doing it right. And he had things like the cow awards, the cultivator of wow. Uh, and people would give that to each other and departments would give it to people who went the extra mile. They had, you had like a hundred dollars available that you could give out to colleagues. And the only thing that was restriction is you couldn't do it in kind trade outs, but short of that, he trusted his people to catch others going above and beyond and, and using company money to reward and recognize. It was crazy stuff. So talk about making it peer-to-peer in the context of creating a leadership uh, gratitude world.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you summed it up beautifully. And and Zappos is a a classic example. You might remember they had snaps, super nifty and positive stuff, right? They'd snap each other out, right? And I'll I'll give one to, to the viewers here. When somebody does something great, just don't say, hey, wow, you really wowed me. Say, you know what? That was a wow. (laughs) W O W! This is mom. This is wow. And,
0: and the
1: simple little fun things that you do, bark them out. You know.
0: Yeah, I'm still not barking. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've got some. I got some some limits to my vulnerability. All right, take it home. You already stole my thunder on this. I don't even know if I want to do it now. Uh, but the point was, that you know. Uh, Remember the campaign that like milk isn't just for breakfast anymore. It's like gratitude isn't just for work. If you're a leader, gratitude is a way of being. And what I love is it's really who you are. I mean, to me, you didn't need to do a million studies. If you just looked inward, you knew this was always the way you led. But it's cool that you have the balance of the empirical and your own natural flow of this thing. But you take gratitude home and you think it's a kind of a good thing to do.
1: Oh, absolutely. One of the remarkable ahas we had in the book as we studied these amazing leaders, you know, Alan Mulally and Gary Ridge and Hubert Jolie, is that they all took that practice home, like every one of them. They led with gratitude in the workplace and they took it home. You know, Adrian and I do a lot of executive coaching as well. And one of the saddest things that we find is when people leave their best selves at work, they give so much to their job that when it comes time to come home, they're exhausted. And, and now even more so because, you, again, you don't have that decompression on the commute, right? So some of the tips we have is say, look, when, when, you're, when you're finished with your day and you see your family, be excited to see them. That sounds silly. Say, hey, great to be home. Hey, great to see you. It's a simple little as opposed to, you know what? I've had a tough day. Let me binge on Netflix for about an hour. Have, you know, a, 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 some and then we'll talk. The difference is, is dramatic and, and, and simple things. Teach, teach your family to embrace hard times. What are we learning? One last one, because I know we're up against it here. At dinner time, a good friend of ours, Dave Kerpen, he's got this uh, digital uh, agency in New York. He said, with my kids, you know, we would we would try to have engaging conversations and it never worked. We'd say, how was school? They'd say, fine. <laughs> what did you learn? Nothing, right? <laughs> We've all had that conversation. He said, now you gotta answer three questions and I challenge your fo- our folks that are listening to do this. What was the best part of your day? Brag about your day. Who are you grateful for that's not at the table, and who are you grateful for who's at the table, who hasn't been thanked yet?
0: Uh, it, oh my gosh! It, Let me general- play that back. Let's let's stop the recording and keep playing that one back over oh, in a perpetual loop. Um, God, I got to listen to this anymore, but if I did. I would want to have had that tool. I wish I had it. All right, rapid fire time. Before we do, though, ChesterElton.com, the place to go. Let me pop up the book uh, brand image here so that we make sure that you cannot possibly get it wrong. Leading with Gratitude, it wiped me out of the screen. That's how much I love it. I don't even want to be <laughs> seen anywhere but behind this book. I'm completely behind Leading with Gratitude, quite literally. All right, um, so with that in mind, please drop by. He definitely does coaching. We're all pivoting and doing speaking in a virtual way. Production values are amazing, fully engaging, highly entertaining, very informative. You can't go wrong with, but just don't make me follow them. That's what my <laughs> point is. All right, enough of that. Uh, please go check out the website. You'll also find out information on the book. There's some free books there. There's coaching information. There's everything you want to know in a bag of chips and a lot of orange. You're going to see a lot of of orange. orange. All right. Got to do the the quick uh, rapid fire round. Just quick answers.
1: Don't overthink these. You promise? Promise. Camp Corral. Love it. You know, it's it's camps over the summer. We weren't able to do it this year for uh, wounded, injured, ill and fallen soldiers. Wonderful charity. Lots of charities for soldiers and families, not that many for their kids. It's a chance for them to relate to other military kids. They've been doing it for five or six years. They started with one camp Three hundred kids now. It's over four thousand kids this summer. Great charity. Look them up. Camp Corral sponsored. You've been on their
0: board and you're you're way into it. Yeah. So, Heidi,
1: wait a minute. Sponsored by Golden Corral for the most part, the the greatest buffet in the USA. So, give them your business. Shoot,
0: Heidi Olson Elton,
1: my north star, my best friend, my wife for thirty-seven years, the wife of four amazing children, and two and a half grandchildren.
0: (laughs) All right. Sorry. I'll keep going with that one later. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel would be one, but I'm not saying that. It's almost like Simon and Garfunkel. It's Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton.
1: Yeah. Like Lennon and McCartney. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Uh, Adrian is a brilliant writer. We've been writing together for 20 years. I say writing together, we collaborate and then he writes. He's brilliant. Uh, has become my best friend. Adrian is more than my business partner; he's my brother.
0: S A O K.
1: Oh, small acts of kindness. Yeah, uh, campaign we ran for a while for the folks at London the work perk. Uh, small acts of kindness, random acts of kindness. I, I'm a huge fan. Do at least one a day, not because you're obligated, just because it's the right thing to do. Makes you feel better; it makes the other person feel great. Chocolate cake with Clara. <laughs> You know, every day I have a hashtag, find your gratitude. And uh, I love that you followed that. Uh, my granddaughter, Clara, she loves to eat. She, she speaks Spanish and English already. And she'll say, mice food, which is more food. And whenever she's eating something great, she makes sure to show it to you. <laughs> it's wonderful.
0: <laughs> and for that, I'm grateful. Yes. Last <laughs> thing is fall leaves.
1: Oh, fall leaves. I, I love the fall. I love the crackle. I love the smell. And there's nothing better than playing with your grandson in in a pile of leaves. I mean, just think about it. The, the other day we were rake. We have lots of trees, and my little grandson Lucas and I, we just threw leaves at each other, laughed and giggled, and rolled around the leaves. Nothing better.
0: And I can tell you that Chester and I know each other among other ways uh, through involvement with an organization called Global Gurus. They are voting right now for uh, gurus. Uh, I'm showing the customer service tag because that's the one that relates to me. (laughs) And it's all about me, Chester, in the end. Um, But truthfully, just go to globalgurus.org and you'll go over the leadership side. I think you're in the culture side, too, right? Corporate culture. So you can just look for the hashtag for corporate culture and leadership and click on Chester Elton as your global guru pick on that side of the ledger if you're kind enough to think about me on the other side of the ledger along with other amazing people like ron kaufman and chip bell there's so many amazing ones in my space but if you're kind enough to click on it we'd greatly appreciate it. it just helps us continue to have the platform that we need to continue to be viewed i think in the world as as relevant god knows it takes everything i can to be perceived as relevant all right with that said let's go ahead and say goodbye for now some amazing up upcoming guests uh uh, coming on the the uh, program here pretty soon. We'll have Martin Lindstrom, a colleague of Chester's and mine. So we're looking forward to him. Carmine Gallo is going to be joining me here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we got Bill Lampton, who's just an incredible communicator. So it's going to be a fun ride. Thanks for staying for being with us. Happy Thanksgiving and lead as you go through this. Lead, lead, lead with gratitude. Thanks, Chester.